Okay, good afternoon. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Now, I, um, before the Lord, am 100% comfortable that this is what the Lord would have me conclude our time this weekend with. Um, and I'll say up front, this may seem, uh, at the beginning, this may, this, you, I, I could see you legitimately thinking, okay, what does this have to do with the rest of our weekend? Um, if you like titles, then you could jot down this. What does it mean to be in fellowship? What does it mean to be in fellowship? And I hope, and I think, by the end of our time together, that you'll see, in my mind, and before the Lord, this is the so what to our weekend. This is the where do we go from here. We've been talking about these things all weekend long, and I know the Spirit of God has been applying these things to hearts. Praise the Lord that He does these things. And this is more um, in the idea of corporately, um, what would the Scripture indicate? Like, how do we proceed forward for the Lord? And, and again, the title, what does it really mean to be in fellowship? So let's look um, at our first verses here, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse number 9. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now I plead with you, brethren. Now here, I said it earlier in the weekend and I'll say it again here. I would love to do a little study on things that Paul begged for. And here it uses the word plead, but it's the same idea, right? I plead with you, brethren, verse 10, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Father, we do just very much want to ask for your help and blessing Lord, just from, well, Lord, it just seemed like you've been answering prayer all weekend long. And we just want to give you all the praise and the honor and the glory. Uh, apart from you, we can do nothing. And we want to see things happen, Father. We want to see the people of God move forward. We long for you who began a good work in us to complete it. These are all things that you do that we cannot do. Father, even a weekend like this, to, to be of any eternal value whatsoever, that is solely in your responsibility. And you've been answering our prayers all weekend long. And we just want to pause uh, in our last session and just say thank you. Father, we said it the mo this morning in Breaking of Bread. We'll jo joyfully say again, we love you. You're the greatest thing that's ever happened to us. We love your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we know that we're barely scratching the surface of knowing him. And when we get to know him better, we'll see his beauty, his majesty. We'll admire him all the more. Father, we just lay this time at your feet and we pray one more time for this weekend that the Spirit of God would illumine the, the Word of God, would open up the Word of God to us, would, would explain that the Spirit of God would be our teacher and that whatever needs to be true in this room, that the Spirit of God would take the Word of God and apply it to every heart. Father, help us to rightly divide the word of truth, we pray. Help us to academically understand your book, we pray. But Father, so much more than that, we pray that, that we would honor Jesus Christ by being doers of the word, both individually and corporately. Father, we all have different lives here. We have different circumstances. We have different burdens to bear. Uh, show us, we pray, how you would have each one of us to live out the things that we will look at during this time. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we ask. Amen. Amen. So what does it really mean to be in fellowship? And I just want you to notice right from the beginning here, um, just a, a few simple little things. God is faithful who has called you into fellowship. And then verse 10, I plead with you. And then he starts in, speak the same thing. No divisions among you. Perfectly joined together. Same mind. Same judgment. Okay, if you were going to put all that into one word, what one word would you choose? I think somebody said it. My ears aren't quite as quick as they used to be. Did someone say unity? Okay, good. That's the word I would choose too. And so right from the beginning, you get this thought of unity. And you'll see as we, as we go through passage after passage, you'll see this thought come up over and over again. Now, if you want to take this little subject and, and run with it, 
then um, let me give you the Strong's number um, for fellowship, at least the, the Greek word that is commonly translated fellowship. That's 2842. And what does that actually mean? Well, according to Strong's, it means to share or to hold together in common. To share or to hold together in common. What's the opposite of same mind, same judgment, no divisions, striving together? Well, just very simply put, it would be a disunity, right? Now, you can turn to this if you want to. You don't have to. I'll read it to us. I love this verse because the Lord has used this verse in my life many times. Proverbs chapter 18 and verse number 1. In fact, for sake of time, I'm just going to read it. Proverbs 18.1. A man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He rages against all wise judgment. And the part that the Lord has used in my life over and over again, a man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. Have you ever been tempted to isolate yourself from the people of God? If some of you are saying no, praise the Lord, right? Uh, I've, been, I've been tempted many times, multiple times, in my Christian life to begin to isolate myself from the people of God. Every time that I've been tempted to do that, um, that I can remember, the Lord will bring this verse to mind, a man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. And then I have to ask myself honestly, am I tempted to isolate, to withdraw? It can be so subtle, right? You still attend the meetings, but socially, you just more distance, right? It can be very subtle, or it can, could be quite drastic. Um, every time I've been tempted to kind of pull back from the Christians, out of frustration, out of many different reasons, the Lord will bring this to mind, and I'll say, okay, am I tempted to pull back because Jesus Christ is commanding me to pull back? Because I'm living for His will and His agenda and His delight? Or am I tempted to pull back because of me? And every time the answer has been, has been me that it's selfish, right? And so you have this thought right from the beginning, to share, to hold together in common, and then you have the opposite of that, which would be a disunity or a pulling away. You could call it a partnership, uh, to share, communion, uh, same mind, same judgment. All these thoughts uh, end up going together. Now, point number one in the outline. I just have four simple points for today. Point number one in the outline is a biblical example of fellowship. A biblical example of fellowship. So go to Luke chapter 5, if you would. Luke chapter 5 and verse number... Let's read verse 8 for context. Luke 5, verse number 8. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. So also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. Now, for our purposes today, all you have to notice is that this is in the context of fishing. I know that many of you know this story, right? We're not even going to talk about the details of the story. But it's in the context of a fishing business. And you've got Peter, you have James, and you have John, and they're called partners. Unless you have a conscience against it, I would suggest that you underline that word partners. That is the same root word that over and over again is translated into our word fellowship. We're koinonia. So you have the same thought, but it's translated as a partnership. So right here you have a biblical picture of what it is supposed to be like to be in fellowship, a group working together. And the picture is, very simply, a fishing business, right? So what does it mean to be in fellowship? Now this isn't always good biblical hermeneutics, right? This isn't always the way we translate the scriptures. But in this case, it actually works, right? Fellows in a ship, right? They're, they're business partners. Now, if I, said, if I said to somebody, let's just any one of our, of our young men, they're, they're providing for a family. If I said, I have an idea, 
I want to sell prosthetic noses door to door in Fort Lauderdale. Um, will you quit your job and enter into a partnership with me? Would you probably want to talk to your wife before you made the jump? Yeah. Um, and, I'm, and I know it's a kind of a silly illustration, but I think it serves just to make a simple point. When it comes to a business partnership, we would take that abundantly seriously, right? I mean, we would take that very seriously if you're going to, quote unquote, get into bed, right? If you're going to have a, a business partnership, then boy, you would want to think that through and be careful. And right here, that's, that's the idea. It's, it's partners, workers together. Uh, a definition, those who work, this is so beautiful, I love this. Those who work or toil together, sharing in the benefits and trials of a business. Now that's so important, I want to read it again. What does it mean to be a partner? Those who work or toil together, sharing in the benefits and trials of a business. Okay, so I have an idea. Nobody tell them, but um, when Cassidy comes back, uh, this is my idea. Next time I go to Spanish Wells, Lord willing, it'll be about, about a year. I want to take with me um, two or three missionary biographies. I love missionary biographies. And I want to go to Cassidy's boat and say, I want to come with you. I want in. And then, and then I'll even be kind. I'll say, I'm going to set up a deck chair somewhere on the boat, and I'll, get it, I'll be out of the way so that I'm not in anybody's way, right? I'll even do devotions after breakfast or devotions after supper. And I'm just going to sit there, and I'm going to read my missionary biography on deck and kind of treat it like a cruise. But then when the ship comes in to, to harbor again, and we sell all that lobster, I want my full share of, of whatever that take is. Now, don't tell him. It's a surprise, right? Do you, think, do you think that they would let me in with that kind of a business strategy? Now, again, the Lord knows I'm not being silly. I'm trying just to paint a biblical picture. Why would they not let me in? It's simple, right? There are no passengers, Right? There are no passengers. This is, this is such a, I think it's such a beautiful thing that the Lord gave us, an actual picture of what it's supposed to be like to be in fellowship. There, there are no passengers, those who work or toil together, sharing in the benefits and trials of a business. So we have to ask the question, are there, in a local church, are there passengers? Sure there are, Right? They want to come out. They want to just set up a deck chair and listen and be blessed. They want the blessings of the local church, but they don't want the work, the toil, the trials, right, of a local church. Okay, well, let's pause here for just a second. Am I, is my purpose in standing up here just to throw mud at those that would want to benefit from the local church but don't want the work of the local church? Am I just wanting to criticize them? I'm, I'm a visitor here, but I'm going to go out on a limb and just speak on behalf of the people here, and you correct me if I'm wrong. If, if you're here today, and you're only willing to come out and be blessed by this local church, and you've not yet matured to the point where you want the trials and the toil and the work of the local assembly, praise God that you're here. Is that true? If, if that's... If, that's, if I was in Topeka in my own assembly, I would say this twice as loud as I'm saying it now. We would like to have 400 more people that are willing to come out and listen to God's word. My point is not at all to be critical of people that that's, that's how far they've come. My point is you're missing out. If, if you're treating yourself like a passenger, right? Uh, you're missing out. I had a professor in Bible college who who said, you're blessed in the local assembly to the extent that you serve. And I found that to be overwhelmingly true. Overwhelmingly true. You're blessed to the extent that you work, that you toil, that you serve, that you treat it like a business. Nobody, no, no fishing boat down in Spanish Wells would let me just come along as a passenger and then get my full share. They, you couldn't do it. You can't run a business that way. It's not genuine fellowship. You're missing out. 
Okay, point number two. What is the foundation of fellowship? And to answer this, let's go to Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15. What is the biblical foundation of fellowship? Romans chapter 15. One simple little verse. Romans chapter 15 and verse number 7. Therefore, receive one another. We talk about being received into fellowship. Therefore, receive one another, just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. So what is the biblical foundation of fellowship? Primarily, it's the new birth. If Christ has received somebody, we certainly want to receive them, don't we? There's a teaching that's floated that, that, well, it's not common, praise the Lord, but there's a teaching that has floated around, and it'll float around from time to time. Um, it, it, I've actually heard different titles for it, but it basically is the idea that if ever at any point in your life you've ever been divorced, you can never, ever be received into fellowship in a local assembly. Have you ever heard that? Those of you that are shaking your heads, good. <laughs> Praise the Lord. It floats around North America some. There are some that, that would hold that and teach that. Um, I couldn't be more opposed to that, to that teaching. I think it's utterly unbiblical. An unbeliever grows up. They get married when they're 19. This is a guy I know. Gets divorced when he's 23. Gets saved when he's 25. They would say that you can never receive that young person into, into fellowship in the local assembly ever again. Is that consistent in any way with the character of God or the teaching of Scripture? It's not, right? If Christ has received them, who are we not to receive them? Now, you almost have to, you have to talk both positionally and practically, judicially and parentally. Um, if Christ has received them, we certainly want to receive them. If they're walking with the Lord Jesus Christ in intimate fellowship now, then we, they're certainly welcome to walk in intimate fellowship with us. And the only exception, to, the only exception to that is, and I'm being general here, um, but if they if they will not, if they're living a life of immorality and they will not turn from that, then they have chosen to walk in a way that they're out of fellowship with the living God. Therefore, at some point, if they will not turn, then we have to we have to recognize that they've chosen to walk out of fellowship with us too. Have you ever begged somebody to repent? Somebody that you love? It's a miserable thing. Two in the morning in my grandmother's living room after watching a Billy Graham message, I begged my brother to repent. I said, with tears, I said, I said, you're my brother. Repent and I will stand in your wedding. Repent. Repent. You know what is right. You grew up in the same family that I did. Repent. You know that what I'm saying is right. And he left. He was thinking. I was hopeful. I was prayerful. Boy, next time I saw him, he was furious. Who are you to judge me? I will, I'm going to leave out all the rest of the details. But at some point, if they choose to walk distantly from Christ, you have to choose. Okay, am I going to walk intimately with them or am I going to walk intimately with the Son of God? And so it brings up this issue. If Christ has received them judicially, we certainly want to receive them. If they're walking with Christ, the two major issues that immediately come to mind is morality and doctrine, right? If there's a false doctrine they refuse to turn from, it's the same thing. <clears throat> Jesus Christ is the truth. This is the written word of God. He's the living word of God. If they're holding to something that's false and they won't be taught, they won't turn from it, that would merit um, discipline as well. Not disciplining our kids in our families, not disciplining kids in our families, that's a form of child abuse, right? Have you ever seen parents that don't understand discipline? We've got a society full of them, right? Society teaches against biblical discipline these days. And the poor parents, like they, they don't understand. You see them in the grocery store or whatever. They don't understand how to discipline kids. The kids are driving them crazy. Um, then they feel bad that they're being driven crazy. I mean, the whole thing, it just doesn't work. It's a form of child abuse to not discipline kids. It's amazing sometimes how that doesn't transfer because it really is the same thing in the local assembly. 
sharpen one another, exhort one another daily as long as it's called today. There are all these different levels of discipline, nine levels of discipline that lead up to biblical um, excommunication. Sorry, I thought I had the paper right here and I don't. I normally carry a paper in my Bible on purpose that has those nine levels of discipline. So if Christ has received them, we receive them. If they're walking in intimate uh, fellowship with Christ, we continue on walking in intimate fellowship with them. Um, that's the idea. If uh, based on Christ's merit. And I guess I'll pause here to say, the only reason that any one of us could ever be in fellowship with God is because of the overwhelming grace of Jesus Christ, right? We're so much utterly more sinful than we've ever even realized, right? Jesus Christ is so much more disgusted by your sin than you've ever come to be disgusted by your sin, or I've ever come to be disgusted by my sin. His grace is so wonderful. When sin increases, what does grace do? It hyper-increases. It mega-increases, right? It increases all the more, according to Romans. Praise the Lord for the grace of God. We're not looking for reasons to not be in fellowship with people. We're begging people to, to be in fellowship with God, and hence in fellowship with us by the grace of God. Now, point number three. This is the one that I'll spend most of our time on. What does it mean, or what does it really look like to be in fellowship, according to the Scriptures? And to answer this question, I want to look at what many people refer to as the epistle of fellowship, Philippians. So turn there, if you would. Philippians chapter 1. Is anybody wondering what any of this has to do with prayer? In, in my mind, this all makes perfect sense, if that's any comfort to you. And um, where we're going here, I think it'll all come together. At least it's very clear to me. Philippians chapter 1. This would be point number 3 in my outline. What does it really look like to be in fellowship? And let's look at the first picture. Philippians 1 verse number 5. For your fellowship in the gospel. Well, let's read the whole sentence. Verse 3. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine making request for you all with joy. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. This brings to light a corporate aspect of fellowshipping specifically in the gospel. So it would be like a team working together for the going forward of the gospel. Boy, there's a fellowship in the gospel that's unique, isn't there? Such a joy. The most intense spiritual warfare of my, of my life was the Ottawa, Kansas outreach. I would sit, I would sit in my hotel room having to preach the gospel for, for those four nights. I would sit in my hotel room in the afternoon trying to prepare. And there were times where I couldn't even read the passage. This was a unique experience in my life. I'd be looking at God's word, trying to read the verses, and I couldn't even read the passage. And then I would just, it was really kind of like being tormented um, by these thoughts. Uh, not only should you not preach tonight, you should go home and never preach again. And just like, and, and I would just um, cry out to the Lord and I would pray. And eventually the Lord would give grace. And it wasn't instant. It wasn't like, Lord, please help. Boom. I mean, it was a period of time crying out to the Lord. And then the Lord would give grace. And then I would look and I'd be able to read. And then I'd be able to, to ask the Lord, what do you want me to share tonight? And be able to go over it and write it out and then go. And they have a stage in the, the auditorium in Ottawa, Kansas. We rented the biggest facility in Ottawa, Kansas. It's Ottawa Municipal Auditorium, 850 seats. And the stage is huge. It's, you can do full-scale full productions on it. And below it, there's a room, like a cast room. And so as I was preaching the gospel, I never feel weaker than when I'm preaching the gospel. As I was preaching the gospel, there would be anywhere from, um, I think, two or three to probably 12 or 15 men on their faces before the Lord, literally under my feet. And that was such a joy. I can't imagine, um, I can't imagine a better situation in terms of, of, I mean, they're just right there, you know. And my feet never felt hot or anything, but I, I wondered <laughs> if that would, I mean, it was just such a joy having them down there. And um, I don't know, when you, when you weep over a city, 
And when you bleed, so to speak, over a city and you just pour out everything that you can to see a city transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. By the way, that's still my heart. That's still my longing for Ottawa, Kansas. I'm so thankful for the servants the Lord has there. That, that fellowship in the gospel, it's so real and it's so unique. There's a fellowship in the gospel, right? A working together. Now, forgive the feeble thought, but when I read this, I think of football. Um, I played football seventh grade through high school, and um, I loved playing football back in the day. I just loved it. I was an offensive lineman, a center, and uh, we won state my freshman year. We lost in state my sophomore year, lost in sub-state my junior year, and um, they lost in state my senior year. I didn't play my senior year, um, but boy, it was fun being a part of that football team. And when everybody did their job, it just worked beautifully. Uh, I loved offense because everybody has a specific job. And when everyone did their job, you just systematically march down the field and you're kind of unstoppable in a sense. Now you've got to have guys that are decent size. But if you have guys that are decent size and everybody does their job, you just march down the field. And I just love that. On defense, um, you're just headhunting. You're looking for the ball, hitting people as hard as you can, uh, helping them up and smiling and knocking them down. And um, I just loved it, right? I loved it. And, and um, when I read this, your fellowship in the gospel, it's a team. It's a team. There are people in my life that I think of kind of like the Lord Jesus. He, you know, he had his one. He had his three. He had his 12, right? And the circles just keep getting bigger. Um, they're a circle of three in my life. Three men that the Lord has put in my life. And they bleed for North America. Um, they weep over North America. And there's just such a fellowship in the gospel. And that's the idea. Again, I've said this a couple times, and I hope it's clear and understood. I don't expect the Christians to have the same burden. Uh, the Lord will burden us with different things. But here, um, every follower of Jesus Christ should have a burden for the lost. Every follower of Jesus Christ should, should want, on behalf of the Savior that they love, to see the lost reached with the truth of Jesus Christ. And it paints this picture that there's a corporate functioning of the fellowship of the gospel. Um, everybody plays a role, right? Uh, my freshman year, uh, I became a, a state champion football player. I never caught a pass. I never snapped the ball. I never even touched the field. I was a cheerleader with pads. Uh, but I became a state champion football player that year because I was part of the team, right? My sophomore year, I started, um, but not my freshman year. Everybody plays a role on the team. I think of this lady back home, and um, she came to our prayer meeting. And before the prayer meeting started, she said, I just want to ask for prayer tonight that... Um, the Lord would raise someone up to come teach an evangelistic Bible study in my home. She had gone to all of her neighbors. She's lived Christ in front of them for all of these years. She'd gone to all of her neighbors and told them, Jesus Christ is the best thing that's ever happened to me. I would love to have a Bible study with anybody and everybody that's willing. She said, I have eight of them that are willing to come on Thursdays. Could we please pray that the Lord will raise up somebody to come and teach the study? Isn't that great? She didn't want to teach the study. But she's lived Christ, and she got all the people to come. It's a partnership, right? There's a lady that comes to every outreach in our assembly, and she makes lemonade and brings cookies. And we love that. You go out, it's 105 degrees, you're sweating. You know, you come back to the chapel, and there she is, lemonade and cookies, right? And uh, she prays. I mean, it's just a partnership. There's goers and senders, and there's offensive evangelism and defensive evangelism, and all the rest of it. I'm not going to go any more into that topic. Um, but, but there's a fellowship of the gospel. It's like a team. So what does it mean to be in fellowship? We already looked at it. It's like a business, like a business partnership. Then here it's like a team. Okay, let's keep going. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 1. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy... I'll stop there. Fellowship of the Spirit. Okay, now let's keep going. Fulfill my joy by being like-minded. There's our word again. Having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Again, overwhelmingly, you get this thought of unity, right? So fellowship of the Spirit 
and you get this idea of unity, a unit working together. Now, I'm just going to read this to you. Ephesians chapter 4 says this, verse 3. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The word endeavoring means to strive or to be earnest. Forgive me, again, I think of football, right? You've got full pads on. It's like wearing a winter coat, a hat, gloves. You're running up and down a field in 105 degree weather. You know, you're, you're sweating so badly that before long you can't, you can't spit the dust out of your mouth, literally. You're just, you're completely dried up. They give, they give 100 guys five minutes to get a drink of water out of a hose, you know, and, um, and that's, and that, it's endeavoring, striving. And so according to God's word, we're to strive, to, to be earnest, to work hard at keeping the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Now, little doctrinal point. We're not told biblically to keep the unity of the body. That's the spirit of God's job. Uh, that would be like saying you have to keep yourself saved or you have to keep someone else saved. Like you have to hold on to them. If you're part of the body, because you've been baptized into the body at salvation, if you're part of the body of Christ, well, the Spirit is going to keep you part of the body. But we are exhorted right here to work hard at keeping the unity of the Spirit. So, so um, let me ask on behalf of Jesus Christ, are you a help to the unity in this assembly? Or are you a, a hindrance to the unity in this assembly? Do you have things against the Christians that you, you've been unwilling to deal with? before the Lord? If the Spirit of God puts His finger on you, are you willing to repent of that and make do whatever you have to do to obey this verse and make it right? Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So it's the fellowship of the Spirit. So you think of, you think of a unit. Okay, Philippians chapter 2, verse number 25. Two more little pictures here, and they're both in this verse. Yet I considered it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier. Okay, so firstly, you have a fellow worker. Again, we get another picture here. Uh, it goes right with that idea of the partnership in Luke chapter 5. It's a fellow worker. The word worker, it means someone who is willing to labor and carry the load. Labor and carry the load. I'm not going to repeat everything I said about the business partnership, right? The fellows in a ship. But obviously, this just goes hand in hand. Are you willing to labor and carry a load? My best friend went on a missions trip, uh, what was it, our sophomore year of college. He went to France for three weeks, and they were told, bring a bag that you can carry around France for three weeks. They were going to be working mostly in evangelism. They had this team of about seven students and a leader, and they were all going to go over. He was very excited. Well, time came for them to load up. You're loading up in Dubuque, Iowa. You're driving to Chicago, Illinois, and then you're flying internationally. So it was time to go. Every part of the team was there, ready, packed, except one girl. So they waited until about five after. Finally, they sent one of the girls on the team, go check on so-and-so. So as you went and checked on her, and she's still packing. She's in her room packing to go on the missions trip. And she's throwing everything she can think of into this bag that is literally bigger than her. And so, so she keeps, the, the friend keeps saying, do you really need that? Oh, yeah, I need that. You need two hair dryers. I need two hair dryers. And look, she's just got everything. Um, and then finally, she zips it up, and they couldn't lift it to carry it down to the front of the building. So they drug it out into the hallway. They called my friend. He came, and he picked it up and carried it down. Now, he's a spiritually gifted servant. He's an awesome guy. He loves to serve people. He never thought twice about it, right? So he gets it, carries it down. Um, the, the leader says, we should open, or we should commit our trip to the Lord in prayer. So they all, okay, so they're praying, right? Amen. He says, okay, we're late. We need to load up. Everybody throws their stuff in the van, starts to jump in the van. And this little southern belle who was late, right? Uh, she's looking at the boys and then looking at her bag and looking at the boys and looking at her bag. And eventually, it's like she's doing everything but like this, you know. And so my friend goes, oh, and he jumps out of the van. He picks up her bag, puts it, puts it in, the, in the van. Now, I didn't talk to him for three weeks, but I couldn't wait to talk to him as soon as he got back into the States. I said, how did it go? 
And, and he just told me story after story of what the Lord had done. But at one point, he told me that he drugged that bag all over France for three weeks. And he said, he was laughing, but he said, by the end of that three-week period of time, he said, I so badly wanted to kick that bag. <laughs> now, why was he frustrated? They're told. They're given simple instructions. Everybody's supposed to carry their own weight, right? Only bring what you can carry. And it's frustrating, right? We've, you've probably all lived this, whether it's a sporting team or a business or whatever. People that won't carry their own load. And so here, what does it mean to be in fellowship? Well, a fellow worker. Boy, I appreciate fellow workers. I love people that are, that are they're, they're just laboring for the Lord uh, in the realm that God has put them in. Okay, last picture. Uh, same verse, last picture. Fellow worker and fellow soldier. I like this one. So here we've already talked about a business partnership. We've talked about the idea of like a sports team. Uh, you have this idea of fellowship of the spirit, unity, a fellow worker. So that would go really well with the business partnership. And then here, finally, a fellow soldier. So the Lord gives us all of these beautiful pictures. What is it supposed to be like to be in fellowship in a local assembly? It's supposed to be like a business. Everybody working together, doing their part. No passengers on the boat. What's it supposed to be like to be in fellowship, you know, to be a part of a local assembly? It's supposed to be like a sports team, everybody doing their job. What's it supposed to be like, a fellow workers? What's it supposed to be like, fellow soldiers? My best friend's dad spent a, a year in the Vietnam War. He said they averaged one firefight a day in the Vietnam War. He was in the 101st Airborne. That was the most active unit in the Vietnam War, at least during his time, and averaged one time a day where you're shooting at them and they're shooting back at you. I can only imagine, literally, and I'm thankful. When I was younger and more foolish than I still am uh, in my teen years, I said one time to his son, my best friend, I said, oh, if I ever went to war, I'd want to be in the same unit as you. Right? Two friends going off to war. And he just looked at us and smiled graciously, and he, he said, I would not wish war on my worst enemy. He said, you never forget the smell, you never forget the sights, you never forget the sounds. You know, he, he basically, graciously saying, you guys have no idea what you're talking about. Fellow soldier, right? You, you, I can't help but think of verses like, fight the good fight of faith. Well, this guy, his name's Steve Williams. He's got a wonderful ministry to veterans. But he goes down to El Dorado, Kansas um, in July of all times. I don't know who on earth organizes this. But the veterans come from all over, and they have basically, um, this is as politely as I can put it, a drunken brawl of a reunion in El Dorado, Kansas in July every summer. So my friend goes down, and he sets up a table, right? This is my best friend's dad. He sets up a table. He's got what they call soldier Bibles and dog tags that say forgiven with a gospel verse on the back. And he's just got different, different things, right? And he went down there the first time and he set up. He's out there under the hot sun. The first year he didn't even think to bring a canopy. And he's just standing there. Nobody will come within 30 feet of him, right? They're all, there's more Harleys than there are people. And, and they're all you know, drunk and fighting and all the rest of it. And he's standing there representing Jesus Christ, you know? Nobody would talk to him. The next year, he goes back, and the first day, he's standing there. Nobody will come anywhere close to him. So he went that night, and he got on his knees before the Lord. He said, Lord, you have to break through. Uh, give me wisdom. What do I need to do? And these are his words, not mine. Uh, he said the next day, he thought, this is what I'm going to do. He picked out the biggest, ugliest guy in the crowd. This is what he said. And, uh, and he said he waited till that guy came somewhere near the booth. And then he stepped out from the booth and he put out his hand. He's got big, huge hands. He worked construction for 30 years. He puts out his hand and, and he says, put her there. And this big, huge guy, leather, you know, leather uh, sleeveless jacket is standing there. And, uh, and he looks down, right, this big mass of humanity, looks down at my best friend's dad. And he says, I don't shake hands with chaplains. And, and my best friend's dad said, I'm not a chaplain. He said, I walked point in the 101st Airborne from this year to this year, and da-da-da, this is who I am. This was my unit. 
And this big, huge guy immediately sticks out his hand. He says, okay, put her there. He shakes his hand. And then he says, what are you doing? And uh, he says, well, he said, I bought this material with my own money. He said, I, I'm one of you. And I want you to know uh, that which is the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. And so I brought all of this, and it's just for free. I'm just here to give this to people as a gift. And this huge guy says, whoa. He stops him. And then he turns around to the crowd. Now, I won't do it because I'm mic'd. But he, but he says, hey. And everybody just freezes. And then he says, come here. And they all come, every person, right? He said, that's why I picked out the biggest, ugliest guy. And they all just come. And, and he said, listen to this guy. And so Steve Williams, he has the chance to talk with these, these veterans, right? And he said everything he brought that he had on the table, just instantly, just it, it, it all just went. Now, my point is very simple. If you are a soldier, then you are a soldier. And if you're not a soldier, then you're not in, right? I've approached so many people in, in parks over the years, and you can see them. As you walk up, you can watch the wall. Right? And by the time you get there, they'll hardly even look at you. And boy, I've tried and tried over the years to get through that somehow. Finally, I asked my best friend's dad, how do you talk with these guys? I'm, I'm being as respectful as I can possibly be. I appreciate the sacrifice that these men have made. And so and he told me, um, he said, okay, do two things. He said, walk up and, and um, try, you know, if they, if they have a wall, if they won't talk to you, then say, excuse me, are you a veteran? And he said, they will look at you with anger in their eyes and because of the way they've been treated. And, uh, and then say, um, I've not had the privilege of serving my country in that way, but I just wanted to say thank you. And if I could have the privilege, I just wanted to say, sorry, it's hard for me to say it, welcome home. My best friend's dad uh, was being shot at in the triple canopy jungle in Vietnam. And then 24 hours later, he got off a plane in Seattle, Washington. He saw an American, this is a holy man of God. I mean, this is a, he loves the Lord and he committed his life to Christ as a boy. And this is a godly man. He gets off a plane in Seattle, Washington. He sees a blonde American girl and he smiles and he thinks I'm home. And, and I don't know another way to say this, forgive me, but she flipped him off, right? And, and this is how they were treated coming back. Now, again, my point is, if you're a soldier, you're a soldier, right? And if you're not, you're not. And, and so here, he's talking about, he's giving us pictures. What's it like to be in fellowship in the local meeting? And so he says it's like a business partnership. It's like a sporting team. It's like, it's like a military unit. Every picture that he gives is the idea of every person doing their job, of all the points working together in the marching forward of the people of God for the glory of Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? Okay, now why this makes sense to me, and I, I'm very confident that this is of the Lord, and I'm just going to offer it to him for whatever he wants to do with it. We've been talking all weekend long about prayer. And so this is the so what, right? So what? Well, all weekend long we've been talking about, about the, the mighty right arm of God being bared on our behalf in a coming generation, seeing the Lord doing things that we have not seen him do in my lifetime. The fact that we lack a New Testament power amongst us. We have to ask the Lord why. We have to seek this book. We have to attempt. I think we've missed and watered down the whole idea of the filling of the Spirit and the power that's associated with the filling of the Spirit. Uh, grieving, quenching, resisting the Spirit, um, I mean, it's a huge topic, but all weekend long we've been talking about these things. And to, in my mind, it all comes down to this. The, striving together as a unit in prayer. Now, I'm not negating the fact that it's the overflow of hearts that are praying in their own prayer closets. Jesus Christ would go off by himself to pray. Mark chapter 1. He had a long day of ministry. He has a short night of sleep. He rises early in the morning. He goes off by himself to pray. I haven't even hardly talked about that this weekend because that's not been the emphasis the Lord led me to. But with hearts overflowing from your personal prayer time and lives of intimacy with Him, you strive together in prayer. Boy, it's so essential that we strive together in prayer. Like a, like a football team, like a business, like a military unit. Um, yeah, it's so essential that we strive together in this subject of prayer. And I don't even mean physically together. 
Corporate prayer is a beautiful thing. But what I mean is each person striving in prayer for the going forward of the work of God. When the Lord rebuked us in Topeka, Kansas, and um, th those of you that were here will remember, it's the time that he sent the brother through and gave that message, the rebuke against Israel for fruitlessness. When he rebuked us very clearly, we, we prayed, okay, Lord, we repented, uh, lead us on. The Lord brought another brother through the next month. He was crying. He said, I think we're not out there telling them about Jesus Christ because we love ourselves more than we love them. We repented. The Lord sent another brother through to speak on revival. I don't know if repented is the right word, but we prayed. We had another prayer meeting, and we, we said, Lord, please, we need it, please. The Lord sent a fourth brother through. But now by this point, we were crying out to the Lord, you show us the way, and we will follow. And this missionary comes. His name is Warren Brown, from missionary from Brazil. And he stood in our pulpit, and he said, I've spent the last 15 years of my life developing a series of evangelistic Bible studies uh, that I use in Brazil. If that would be helpful to you, then I would be very happy to leave that. And we all just knew before the Lord, this is the hand of God. And so we said, Lord, would you please start an evangelistic Bible study? And this is like March, I think, or, or April. In the fall, I can still remember them saying that. In the fall, would you start an evangelistic Bible study? The Good News on the Move team came through. We had one day to do outreach in Topeka, Kansas. One of our young guys named Rex was partnered with a Good News guy, and they walked up to a door, and they knocked on it. Alex comes to the door. Five minutes into the conversation, here we've been crying out to the Lord, right? Five minutes into the conversation, Alex says, you know, the Lord has brought people into my life for 20 years to tell me what you're telling me right now. It's about time I did something about it. Would you be willing to study the Bible with me? You know, Alex never did get saved. He came six weeks. He decided it's not what I want. But an unbeliever at his door requested of us, would you start an evangelistic Bible study? That's an open door from the Lord, right? There's a massive difference between prayer-driven ministry and activity-driven ministry, between when the Lord opens a door and you obediently walk through it, or if you're kicking the doors open and asking him to bless it. There's, there's such a difference, and that's why I'm ending this way with our weekend of teaching. What is it supposed to look like on a local level? It's supposed to be a partnership, right? A business, a military unit, a sports team. And I'll just close with this. Is it not sad when we take a business partnership more seriously than we take the local church? Isn't that sad? Or a sports team. Boy, back in the day, you know, I stayed home from Florida from vacation uh, to, uh, to play a Friday night football game when I was 17 years old. There was a time in my life where I took football more seriously than anything. It's sad when we take those things more seriously than we take this kind of a partnership. And I long for the partnering of the people of God together in prayer. If we're going to see the Lord move in a coming generation, then he's going to have to teach us what it means to lay hold of the living God in prayer. If we don't learn that, we'll grieve and quench the spirit of God. We'll be a disobedient generation. We'll wander around in a spiritual desert. We'll die, and maybe the Lord will use the next generation. Father, we give you thanks for a whole weekend of time in the Word of God, and we just want to commit our way to you. Father, you're such a good God, and you're such a worthy ambition. Father, we pray that every person here would be zealous and passionate about seeking after you in their quiet time, walking and talking with you through their days, knowing you better than they've known you before. Father, I have no idea about this local assembly. Are they holy, Lord? You could write a letter to this assembly. In fact, I know you will write a letter to this assembly if they have hearts to hear it. Father, is the Spirit of God free in this place to guide and to lead? Or is he quenched or grieved or resisted? Father, you know these things. This is not beyond you. Your son, the Lord Jesus, is the leader of this assembly, and we rejoice in that. Father, I know them well enough to know 
that their hearts cry out to follow after your son. They want to do well according to your word. They want to run the race as if to win the prize. They want to hear someday, and they rightfully should. Well done, my good and faithful servant. We know these things are your will, and we just say amen to them. Father, we just want to ask today that anything that is grieving, quenching, resisting the Spirit of God, that you would deal with that. Father, I'm not asking you to be hard on the people of God any more than I would ask you to be hard on me or my wife or my kids. But Lord, it's, it's essential that the people of God move forward as a military unit, move forward as a sporting team, move forward as a business. You designed it to be this way, and oftentimes it's not. So we just pray that you would have your way, Father, in this local assembly in every regard. We pray for the presidency of the Spirit of God under the preeminence of Jesus Christ in this local meeting. Father, thank you for all of the blessings. When I come here, I see blessing. I see blessing in the oversight. I see blessing in the Christians. Father, thank you for every good thing that you have done and are doing in this local assembly. I pray that what exists right now would be a tiny little campfire compared to the forest fire that you will start in a coming generation. Father, I pray for the reaching of Fort Lauderdale, for the reaching of this 150,000 person community outside of Fort Lauderdale. Father, please help us to see like your son. Don't let us get away with piddling at the things of God. You're an amazingly huge God and you've given us one chance to live this life Father, please move in this assembly in such a way that, that they will see the hand of God move. And even unbelievers would have to look at what you have done and say, that's the finger of the living God. Father, please, having saved us from the lake of fire, please save us from lives that we could pull off ourselves. We pray, Father, that you would use this local assembly in such a way that the only explanation for what you have done would be the glory and majesty of an omnipotent God. Father, only you can do these things. And you're infinitely capable of doing these things. Father, we ask you at the close of our weekend together for Great Awakening 3 in a coming day. If Jesus Christ comes back today, we would not argue with you. We would so joyfully be perfected and in your presence, in his presence, forevermore. We're longing and aching for that day. But Father, you also know that, that until he comes back, Father, please don't let us just hold on. We want to press forward for the glory of your Son. Father, we commit ourselves to you. We commit this local assembly to you. We thank you for a weekend of time in your word. You're an amazing God to listen to people like us. We thank you and praise you. Commit this whole weekend and every Christian here. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we commit these things to you. Amen.